difficult always. If you think it's easy, you are a fool. If you think it's natural, you are blind. Toni Morrison. Hey, welcome everyone to the House of Mercy Sunday service. I can just picture you all out there with uh, your families all gussied up, sitting up straight on your couch, gathered around your uh, radio glad that you're here. Debbie, you're here. Yeah, I'm here. It's good to be here. Miss everyone. Yeah. Hey, I bet you you haven't been by the church lately, but if you haven't, you should totally go because there is a beautiful new mosaic um, on our church. Yeah, right on the, uh, on the we call it the, the Roy Street entrance or, uh, or the House of Mercy entrance. I'm trying to brand it. And Angie Talley, just, you know, our, what's such an amazing artist. You may know her from her uh, band, Angie and the Ranch Hands. You may know her as a member of the House of Mercy band for a long time. And, of course, uh, just, you know, one of the original House of Mercy heroes. I mean, been around for so long. And she moved out to Montana, but she came back to do this mosaic. And I'm it's, it's breathtaking. Yeah, I haven't seen it in person, but... Uh, Phyllis sent me some pictures of that the beautiful Mercy Garden and the mosaic. I mean, it's just, it's just gorgeous. It feels transformed. So. It really does feel like transformed, and it really feels like it's like it looks like House of Mercy. And because uh, House of Mercy, I feel like it's always at its best when we're making stuff together. And this, so many people came out to help as well. You know, uh, Tilly and Susie and Phyllis and, uh, and Aaron and uh, so many people. Uh, Michael Sorrell loaned us his uh, scaffolding and everybody, a lot of people. I didn't even name them all. And uh, you don't have to wait till, um, you know, COVID is no more and you come back to church. Just drive by. It, uh, drive by, yeah. It really is amazing. 
It's just beautiful. Angie, thank you. Everybody who helped, thank you. And, I mean, we really have to be very grateful to uh, Bethlehem Lutheran Church. Not only did they allow us to put this on their building, but they provided the funds for it. And uh, so that was very generous. So very generous, Thank yeah. you, Pastor Kirsten and, uh, and everybody there at Bethlehem. Yeah. Um, speaking of uh, everybody there at Bethlehem, no, that's a bad segue. Uh, you know, I, we are very grateful to everybody in these troubled times, in these hard economic times. So grateful to all of you who continue to uh, to um, pay your pledges and to give and to give to help keep the work of House of Mercy going and to ensure that we're all still there uh, when when things open back up. And uh, maybe some of you have discovered this podcast, Sunday Service Podcast, uh, or the shut-in sessions, uh, just separate from uh, going to the House of Mercy. Maybe you listen. Uh, you know, there's some. I, I get the statistics, and there's there's people in uh, American Samoa who listen. I mean, one person, but you know, to you, hey. And if you just discovered it, maybe uh, go to our website and and donate if you feel like this is something that's valuable. All right. Yeah, we always appreciate it. Yep. Thanks, everybody, for keeping the mercy alive. And this is the House of Mercy. Welcome to it. Please join me now in the prayer of invocation. God of mercy, free us to embrace our misapprehensions to open our fists and be grateful to find them empty, to open our mouths to speak and find what comes out as a mystery. Free us with the knowledge that we have never controlled creation and are simply called to be caught up in it, tumbled and tousled in your presence. Amen. May the peace of Christ be with you all. Please share the sign of peace with those you find near you. Won't you please join us in singing There's a Higher Power, found on page 94 of your House of Mercy hymnal. When burdens seem to overcome, there's a higher power who's able and refuses none. Why ask men to help you through? There's a higher power. Help us pilgrims just like you. There's a higher power. So let's sing and shout and walk and talk. And there's a higher power. Lay down your soul because Jesus bought it. There's a higher power. Sing and shout and walk and talk and there's a higher power. 
Lay down your soul Cause Jesus bought it There's a higher power Amen Amen There's a higher power Amen Amen There's a higher power Those men they built these mighty guns those automobiles that run There's a power But my brothers and sisters who mark this town There's a power They can't build you no heavenly crown There's a higher power So let's sing and shout and walk and talk And there's a higher power Lay down your soul as Jesus bought There's a higher power Please join me in the prayers of community. I'll end each prayer with Lord in your mercy, and I invite you to respond. Hear our prayer. God of mercy, we pray for the whole damn world, the full damn planet, from the apex predator to the corona microbe. We exist in opposition to no part of creation. Help us to move through life with gratitude and a chargeless, costless, unrecompensed, all-for-nothing love, to sit in the present, in creation, like we are part of it all. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, we pray for those in power, that they would properly understand their charge to serve, to regard first and fully those with the least power and with the greatest need, Overwhelm them with the possibility of primitive compassion and essential obligation, and help us to set aside all bile and vitriol fomented by frustration and sadness, so that we, too, might find new ways to love our neighbor. And God of mercy, we pray for all of those who suffer from the violence that comes from the systemic racism. We continue especially to pray for the family and friends of George Floyd. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, give us the wisdom to confess our own racism and the desire to get educated and work for reconciliation and convict those in power, especially the president, to confess his racism before more violence result from his tacit complicity. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, we pray for those in our lives and those who pass through our lives who are in need of physical, emotional, or spiritual healing. We pray for those who are fighting the coronavirus. We pray for those who are living with cancer and other serious illnesses in this chaotic time. 
We pray for those who we love who are dying. Give them every measure of peace and a palpable love. We pray for those who mourn the death of a dear one. We pray for those of us whose mental illness is magnified by this time of isolation. We pray for those of us who are facing these troubled times in prison. We pray for those who are imprisoned by addiction. Pray for those who are profoundly lonely. For all of these we ask, bless them, take them in your arms, hold them to you, give them what they need, healing, grace, understanding, acceptance, or peace. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, we hurt the people that we love by the things we say and the actions that we take. And we have not loved you with our whole selves. Forgive us and remind us that you judge us with your mercy. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, meet us now in this extended time of silence. May our awareness of your presence never leave us. Amen. La, 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 la. Take a lot of love, but we won't get too far. So if you look in my direction and we don't see eye to eye, my heart needs protection, so do Take a lot of love to make things work out right. So if you're out there and waiting, I hope you show up soon. Cause my head needs relating, not
gonna take a lot of love. It's gonna take a lot of love. It's gonna take a lot of love. Tonight's reading is from Isaiah chapter 5. Verses 1 through 7. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones, and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it, and hewed out a wine vat in it. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah, Judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its walls, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and it shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are his pleasant planting. He expected justice, but saw bloodshed, righteousness, but heard a cry. The Word of God. Thanks be to God. That was a love song. Not Sugar Pie, Honey Bunch, obviously, but it's clearly a love song. It announces itself that way. That's what all the scholars call it. I don't know if I'd call it a great love song. It's unusual. There is heartache in it. Most of the popular love songs are full of that. I saw that the Feel Good Summer Love playlist on Spotify had far fewer followers than sad love songs for crying yourself to sleep. And there's actually scientific research that suggests listening to sad love songs isn't demoralizing, but it actually helps people in emotional pain. A study by the University of Montreal found that sad songs induced a biochemical response in empathetic listeners triggering beneficial hormones. So sad songs make people feel better. This sad love song in Isaiah didn't make me feel better. My first sort of gut response to it wasn't empathetic sadness, but more of a sort of resistance, like, okay, God planted a vineyard and the grapes didn't turn out to be good for making wine. Poor God. I mean, obviously I know it's a metaphor. But still, does God really need my empathy? Oh, God didn't get any good wine. I mean, you'd think God would have access to a lot of resources we ordinary mortals don't. Like being infinite, for example. Somehow both in and beyond time with an et- 
eternal view of everything. A few rotten grapes? Seems like God will be fine. Should we, should we be trying to empathize with God? Or about black people in the United States, for example? There are 7.8 billion humans on Earth and far, far more creatures, many on the brink of extinction. And one of you, God, infinite and immortal, and we should empathize with you? We're all thinking a lot about our privilege lately. I guess it just seems like God has a lot of privilege. Somehow with everything going on in the world, this love song that tries to get its listeners to feel sorry for God didn't land well for me. Seems like my empathy needs to grow in the direction of the Ojibwe who were forced from the land I live on and who I'm often not conscious of. Or black mothers who every day fear that their children might be shot by police. Does God need my empathy? Because God loves me so much and I don't love God enough and God feels bad about that unrequited love? That seems silly in the face of racial violence, pandemic, and climate catastrophe. So that's what reading the scripture made me feel. Which didn't seem hopeful. So I examined my negative response. And I realized that as much as my image of God has changed since I memorized the words omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient in junior high Sunday school, God's attributes manifest in power and glory. And as much as I've embraced an image of God as vulnerable, like in Jesus, there is some God that keeps dancing around the periphery of my consciousness that is a petulant monarch grieved when his subjects don't obey him, royalty with an enormous ego or something separate, omnipotent in some way that just doesn't generate much love in me. And there's a lot in Christian tradition that supports this royal image of God. But the text is more all over the place. God is Dew, wind, a rose, fire, a mother bear, a lion, a cloud, a woman giving birth. I mean, the images are quite profuse and far-ranging. And I think the incarnation of God and the world Jesus definitely turns the whole king thing upside down. Isaiah does too, actually. I realized... I wasn't even listening to Isaiah's song, really. Isaiah's all about justice. About trying to proclaim a word that didn't conform to the royal reality. Trying to get people to see through the false narratives of power and kings. Trying to remind us that God never wanted the people to have kings. God knew how distorting and problematic the whole royal paradigm was going to be. And it really was and is. The founding story of the people of God was about a God who saw their oppression, 
their slavery at the hands of a powerful empire and loved them and freed them so that they might create a loving and just community. But eventually, they make their own empire and end up oppressing and enslaving. It's kind of a familiar story, really. And that's what Isaiah is getting at with the whole vineyard with the rotten grapes. The sweet wine God desired was a loving and just community. And God fully anticipated it, dug the vats for all this sweet and beautiful wine. But instead, here's the cry of the oppressed. I can't read. Isaiah is a prophet in the time of the kingdoms of Israel and Judah, near the end of those times, actually, because those kingdoms were got were so corrupt, they were going to fall apart. In the first chapter of his book, Isaiah makes it clear how weary God is of that whole royal paradigm, kings and priests, and how unlike God, how unlike kings God is. God says so clearly, I don't want your worship. I don't want your offerings. I can't endure your solemn assemblies. What does God want? What God has always wanted, released to the captives, that the poor be lifted up, that the oppressed be set free. Wants creation to be overflowing with justice and mercy and love. I find it really reassuring to hear those words. And my heart definitely softens when I hear those words. I don't want your worship. What is God like? Most of the time in these stories, God is working for the people, not God's own glory, not to get reelected, certainly. Sure, there's a lot of glory language in the Bible, but God's glory is love. God's glory is justice. Or God's glory is on the cross, not sitting on a throne in a fancy costume, having people kiss her ring. God is not a tyrant with an ego that needs constant attention. As James Allison says, God is more like no God at all than one of the gods. Isaiah says God is like a farmer. God finds a fertile hill, which is actually much easier said than done. It's not like you just take a little walk and say, oh, there's a fertile hill. You have to test the soil, check out the plants and the drainage, and then God dug it and cleared it of stones. That's getting dusty and dirty and sweaty. I live on what we've always called a farm, but has never really been a farm as long as we've lived here. But one of the original families in our community is moving, so we have new community members who are for real farmers. Not pesticide spraying, feedlot, commodity crop farmers, but sustainable, organic, carbon sequestering, environmental justice, climate change resisting farmers. Clint is a seed farmer, cultivating seeds for plants that might resist climate change. Cass raises sheep. 
dusty plants, nut trees, which can be local sources for both oils and protein and homes eventually for tree-range chickens. Jim and I always dreamed of living off the land, but we were so not equipped with the knowledge or maybe even the physical capacity to do it or at any rate, rate not quite oriented when it came right down to it, it's embarrassing, to working that hard. Because my goodness, it's almost anxiety-provoking to see how hard our new neighbors work and realize what might happen if it doesn't rain or there's a hailstorm. Every time I walk to the mailbox or the river or go to Linda's or go to the store, morning, noon, or dusk, mosquitoes, gnats, 60, 84, 95 degrees, Cass and Clint and Jasper, their three-year-old, are in the field. And I always look and think, I should see if I can help. And then I usually think, well, actually, I probably need to get home to my office and work on my sermon or write prayers or my parents or start getting dinner ready. Or I think, maybe I can help by taking care of Jasper. We can sit on my screen porch in the shade and I'll read him a book and we'll drink lemonade. Farming is such hard, I see, work and very vulnerable work because there's so much you can't control. It takes a kind of deep carefulness and knowledge about things I don't know anything about. Cass will be in my yard and notice something in my planner from last year that I didn't pull out and she'll crinkle the dried flower in her hands and be like, wow, what are those seeds? And I'll be like, I don't know. And I feel like, my gosh, do I not know the worth of a seed? I don't even pay attention to all this potential life everywhere. Isaiah's love song is to God the farmer who carefully chose a fertile hill dug it and cleared it of stone, built a wall around it, built a watchtower, hewed out a wine vat. I realize I don't usually think of God as really working that hard. Or maybe I do, but more like an intellectual or an artist works hard. Nothing really that backbreaking. Not like doing the physical labor to make sure something grows and then finding there's no good fruit despite all the labor. This isn't a Napa Valley farmer sitting on a veranda on his sleek restoration hardware outdoor couch sipping a cool Pinot Grigio, not breaking a sweat in his fancy linen and California breeze, lamenting this year's bad harvest of grapes. This is the farmer who got into the dirt and sifted through the clods. I think Israel might be much hotter than the Napa Valley, although I honestly didn't research that. Isaiah tries to get the reader to understand the feelings, actually feelings of this hardworking farmer with nothing beautiful growing after all the work. God is exhausted and a little angry. The weariness of God is a big theme in Isaiah, and you can hear it in this song. What more was there for me to do for my vineyard, God says, that I haven't done? 
and yet it was all for naught. In another place where Isaiah, where Isaiah talks about the vineyard, God is like, every moment I water it, lest any harm come to it, I guard it day and night. And at first I thought, now that doesn't seem true. What about George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Elijah McClain? But maybe it is true that God works that hard, never leaves us alone, any of us. Not Ahmad Arbery or Derek Chauvin. Doesn't abandon even one lost sheep. Isn't lying to us about being with us. Working in some real way, some tangible way. Like in our physical beings. Like at some cellular level. Trying to work out the historical, intergenerational, persistent institutional trauma. Working to release the captives and set the oppressed free. It's vulnerable work, because justice and love are vulnerable. Dependent on what is not exactly in God's control, like us. God is affected deeply by what we do. God is not removed. Is there something we can do? This is God's table, and all are welcome. On the night before he suffered, our Lord took bread and broke it, saying, This is my body, given for you. Take and eat. And in the same manner, after the meal, he took the cup and said, This is my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of all sin. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. You may now serve one another communion during the closing hymn. Won't you please join us in singing On the Rock Where Moses Stood, found on page 108 of your House of Mercy hymnal. Cry and hold unto the Lord. Cry and Stand on the rock where Moses stood. Sinners run unto the Lord. Oh, sinners run unto the Lord. Now please don't let this parable pass and lose your soul at last. Cry and hold unto the Lord. Cry and Cry and holy unto the Lord. See 
four and twenty elders bowing all around the altar, crying holy unto the Lord, crying holy unto the Lord, crying holy unto the Lord. Oh, in that day when the bells don't toll, crying holy unto the Lord. May the radical mercy of our Creator move you and move with you through the days until we gather together again. Amen.